Q&A Holes Podcast presents the Sea Report for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. Good afternoon, everyone. Good evening, I'm sorry. And welcome to another edition of the Sea Report. Sorry there, just checking myself before I wreck myself. This is Mr. C. And I hope you all are doing well tonight, and uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to a late night edition after the podcast edition of The Sea Report, uh, where we just bring you some of the day's news with a little bit of views and uh, try and lay off the speculation, but you know me, I can't help myself sometimes, so that's just the way it goes, but anyways, all right, we won't waste too much time with a lot of talk, um... I would say, I guess, before we get into the way of the news, to make sure you stop by QAholspodcast.com and uh, show us a little love there. Follow our blog, um, like, subscribe, follow our podcasts. Join us on Patreon, and um, a monthly donation will go a long way to help us uh, get some of our equipment and uh, keep on making these your podcasts. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and do that over there today before? You get too much going underway, and we'll get underway with the news here on the Sea Report. Okay, let's see what we got going on. So it looks like we'll be leading this today with a story on um, the Al-Assad Air Base in um, <clears throat> Iraq, where it appears that uh, there's yet another firefight retaliation at a Pentagon says a U.S. contractor dies in rocket attack at an Iraq airbase. Uh, so it seems like um, we may be on the verge of some sort of um, firefight here. Uh, we know last what Wednesday there was an attack that uh, Joe Biden had led against the uh, what was it? Iran backed Iraq people in Syria. And now it appears that uh, we have been bombed in Iraq. So there's no telling where this is going to go. Let's see what the article says by the Associated Press. A U.S. contractor died Wednesday at least 10 rockets slammed into an airbase housing United States and other coalition troops in western Iraq, the Pentagon said. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby said the contractor suffered a cardiac episode while sheltering and died shortly afterward. He said there were no service members injured and all are accounted for. British and Danish troops are also among those stationed at the base. The rocket attack was the first since the United States struck Iran-aligned militia targets along the Iraq-Syria border last week, killing one militiaman. No one claimed responsibility for Wednesday's attack. The rocket struck Ain al-Assad airbase in Anbar province early in the morning, U.S.-led coalition spokesperson Colonel Wayne Morado said. Kirby said the rockets were fired from east of the base and that counter-rocket defense systems were used to defend forces at the base. Kirby said the United States can't attribute responsibility for the rocket yet and that the extent of the damage was still being assessed. The Iraqi military released a statement saying that Wednesday's attack did not cause significant losses and that security forces had found the launch pad used for the rockets a truck. A video of the site shows a burning truck in a desert area. British ambassador to Iraq Stephen Hickey condemned the attack, saying it undermined the out ongoing fight against the ISIS terrorist group. Coalition forces are in Iraq to fight Daesh at the invitation of the Iraqi government, he tweeted, using the Arabic acronym for ISIS. These terrorist attacks undermine the fight against Daesh and destabilize Iraq. Denmark said coalition forces at the base were helping to bring stability and security to the country. Despicable attacks against Ain el-Assad base in Iraq are completely unacceptable, Danish Foreign Minister Jep Kafad tweeted. The Danish armed forces said two Danes who were at the base at the time of the attack are unharmed. Last week's United States strike along the border was in response to a spate of rocket attacks that targeted the American presence 
including one that killed a coalition contractor from the Philippines outside uh, the Erbil airport. After that attack, the Pentagon said the strike was a proportionate military response. Quotes. Murado, the coalition spokesperson, said the Iraqi security forces were leading an investigation into the attack. United States troops in Iraq significantly decreased their presence in the country last year and withdrew from several Iraqi bases to consolidate chiefly in Ain al-Assad, Baghdad, and Erbil. All right, so we'll see (coughs) what happens in next week's episode of Biden and China and everyone else fighting in Iran through Iraq through Syria theater next week. Um, Will Biden respond? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, General Lloyd Austin retired has already responded um, and is already getting ready to strike because after all, he's going to make some money in this in the end since he's got about five or six pies His fingers are in over there with military contracts. We'll see uh, how quickly this escalates. Um, Maybe it'll be twofold or fourfold, quadrupled by the end of this month. Um, One could only expect it to be such the case. And uh, we know that um, they claim it to have been a proportionate bombing, but at least 12 dead, I believe, at last count, uh, was a number that was given, though unconfirmed, uh, anywhere between 7 to 14, 12 being the last specific number I heard or read, where uh, civilians were killed by the bombs that Lloyd Austin dropped that Joe Biden then ordered after Lloyd Austin had dropped them. And then, you know, both of them called up Kamala and said, hey, Kamala, by the way, uh, Lloyd and I decided to drop some bombs. And uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. It doesn't look like it's going to be pretty. It looks like they're going to try and make up for some lost time in their 16-year plan. Uh, Syria and Iran, I think, were the last two countries on that plan. So um, they've got a lot of lost time to make up for in Syria since uh, the United States stopped bombing them when, for four years when President Trump was actively in control of the armed forces. All right, that's uh that takes care of that story. I just no no wars for 4 years and uh President Trump did uh ask permission so to speak. Uh at least it, he informed the people he was going to be bombing them and he informed Congress um though not waiting for approval or for a vote and to that point once the bombing was done Everyone knew what it was and who was killed. All right. No good, Joe. No good, Mr. Austin. Why don't you get your rogue general retired in check? Oh, who's that? It's the vicious, the insidious Nancy Pelosi. I couldn't decide which Nancy Pelosi I liked better. This one with her eye sockets. Do you see how her eye sockets are just so sunk into... Her, her eyes are sunk into her eye sockets. Like, do you see this ridge right here? That is the bone of her eye socket. And then this dark line right here, that's not a bad makeup job here. Let me, sorry, I apologize if you're on Spreaker. You can't see what I'm showing the people on Twitch. Look at that. That, my friends, is not a bad makeup job. That is the shadow of the hood of her eye socket right there. Can you see that? That's not makeup. At first I was like, crazy Nancy's drawing two eyebrows. She's drawing two eyebrows on her freaking self. I was like, we need COVID to end because this woman does not know how to do her makeup. Someone get her a makeup artist clearly so that she doesn't blame them for setting her up because she was drawing two eyebrows. She's like, I have to draw my eyebrow. I didn't realize I still had one up here. Do you see that one up there? (laughs) The one that looks like it's totally scared. (laughs) These eyebrows look startled. (laughs) These ones down here, those ain't eyebrows. Those are the hoods of her eye sockets, Nancy. (laughs) 
<laughs> You've been using too much hyaluronic acid. No, you're not supposed to put the acid peel on the cucumbers. Girl. They say every woman over 25 should not be at home without some cucumbers. <laughs> Nancy got some of them hydroponic cucumbers. And uh, the, it must have had, it must have had, uh, it must have had, <laughs> it must have had Roundup on there. And she put it on her eyes and look what it did. It made her eyeballs sink into her eye sockets. Look at that. That's terrible, Nancy girl. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you up on your makeup, but that's not makeup. Okay. Is this one any better? <laughs> she looks like Michael Jackson in this one. Okay. Look at this one. She looks like Michael Jackson. She looks like she's so old that her new face is staying in place and her old face is sliding off or something like that or maybe her new face is so heavy it's sliding off her old face like look she looks like she's melting she looks like michael jackson she looks like michael jackson michael jackson had the same startled eyebrows <laughs> he had the same almost non-existent nose right look at that picture and look at that look at i'm gonna do it again here i go bam okay look watch that is not a second pair of eyebrows, I promise you. That is the hood of Nancy Pelosi's eye socket. Girl, you need some fillers. Get some Botox in there. Is that dangerous? Can they do that? Can Can you put Botox right there? <laughs> she needs it. She looks like a clown. She looks like she looks like Pennywise right there. Actually, she looks like Pennywise. Okay, all right. We're supposed to be talking about news. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm gonna leave that on the screen though. Too bad. Okay, so why is Nancy Pelosi's ugly mug on the screen? <clears throat> Excuse me. Here, we'll put my ugly mug on the screen so you don't have to look at Nancy Pelosi so much. No, actually, um, I think sh the shrink screen right there, it, it really helps to, like, minimize the pixelation. And now it looks more like a complete clown. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so Nancy Pelosi... Okay, so this whole spending bill thing for COVID, it's this COVID relief bill with like a measly less than 10% going to actual COVID relief and a whole bunch of pig pork going to all of their friends and all their buddies and all their spending projects that they want to do because they're not getting any money from their constituents. They're not getting any, they've wasted, they squandered all their money. They've laundered all their money. You know, those jeans over there in California are expensive. Can you imagine how much the laundry bill is? Dun -dun -dun okay, anyways. So Nancy Pelosi tries to put $140 million in funding for a rail project in her district into COVID bill. Now, do you want to know why Nancy's putting a rail project into her district? She needs to put a rail project into her district because they're trying to avoid the human feces, the needles, the homeless people, and all the tent cities on the ground level. And probably the COVID because everyone knows that in Nancy Pelosi's rail cart, there will be no COVID in there because the rail cart will be smarter than the virus. So that's something to think about. But anyways, this comes from the New York Post. Funding for a rail project near House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's California district that Republicans denounced as wasteful was removed Tuesday from President Biden's 1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus bill. Wouldn't it be funny if the Democrats... Uh, wouldn't it be funny if the Democrats removed the letter T from every word... Hey, oozed. <laughs> Do you dare me to read the article like that? No, just kidding. Uh, he sent a parliamentarian ruled at 104 million appropriation. I can't do it. I'm not William Shatner. Wasn't allowed under the so-called bird rule that policies unrelated items in budget reconciliation bills. Why would the Dems do that? Because Trump, his name starts with a T. Hello? Anyways, okay. Republicans singled out the rail project as an example of unrelated pork, pig pork in the bill. 
which is being rammed through Congress without Republican support, using special rules that allow a simple majority vote in the Senate. Ugh. So they're literally going to spend $1.9 trillion. You know, I totally agree with bankrupting the Federal Reserve, which it's now part of the, you know, Treasury. But since it is the Federal Reserve note that will hyperinflate if we spend it into oblivion um, and then, you know, show what this fiat currency has been doing, I'm all for it. But $1.9 trillion, and she wants to spend $140 million, and then I believe, uh, I believe, uh, I believe, I believe Joe broke it down, one of two, the other night on our show about how much money we would be getting, and they would still have, like, a trillion dollars to spend if they gave all of us $2,000. Anyways, um, Republicans singled out the rail, you know why? They just don't want us to be able to fund our little pet projects, like buying ammunition or finally getting a gun, uh, taking a trip somewhere. That sounds highly suspicious, what I just said. I don't mean that any sequentially or together or con- 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 adjacently, any of those activities that I just said. Um, but, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, a lot of people would use it to pay their bills, I believe, but I think a lot of people wouldn't either. Like, say they had released the stimulus before January 6th or before whenever, you know, instead of a million, 1.7 million people showing up, had they given us the stimulus before then, probably like, you know, 3.4 million people would have showed up instead, you know, but um, they didn't give us the stimulus. Uh, they were like, no, because then America will be able to fund their trip to the to the capital. We can't have that anyways. So um, uh, they're so stingy. Pelosi, don't you have enough eye cream? Girl, we see what it's done to your sockets. <laughs> Anyways, okay, Uh, back to this article. On Tuesday, Senator John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, ridiculed the project as Pelosi's tunnel of love, a tunnel of love, gross, ahead of an anticipated vote on the package later this week. Aides to Pelosi, who represents San Francisco, had defended the project, saying the ridership for mass transit plummeted during the pandemic, making it Reasonable to increase government spending. This is ridiculous, Pelosi, and all of you people in, in, you know, Texas is opening up. So, booyah. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait. I think that's our next story. Well, what do you know? I don't need to worry about this spending bill. I'm still going to get whatever they want to give me, but... um. I mean, we do need to worry about it because it is going to a bunch of stupid things and a lot of wasteful things and probably to a lot of our own enemies. It's going to be going to, I wouldn't doubt. But you know what, President Trump? If we need to see where these bastards are going to spend their money, if we need to inject the dye of truth into the dying corpse of America so we can see where we're bleeding then fine, do it. Let them spend the $1.9 trillion. Let's find out where the money's going. Follow the paper trails. Okay, let's talk about Texas. Uh, we <laughs> it was so funny because we were talking about it earlier on the show today. And little do you know, I was going to be talking about it because gee howdy, come next Wednesday, I as a Texan no longer have to wear the mask of um, muzzle hood. Neener, neener, neener. Neener, 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 neener. (laughs) I am so happy. And you know that there's going to be a bunch of people running around here saying, wear your masks. And I'm going to be like, I never did. No, but like, um, I'm going to be like, I've already had COVID four times. I'm pretty immune to it. Leave me alone now. Go away. Um, But uh, it seems that uh, yesterday, Eden, uh, uh, Greg Abbott, and we're welcoming welcoming him to the uh, Sea Report for the first time, um, gave a speech at a little um, casita. Um, um, he was just talking, basically, in Lubbock about uh, how Texas will be opening up. So we'll play a few words from my governor, Governor Greg Abbott. Go, boy. 
Go boy. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Most businesses have been open either 75% or 50%. And during that time, too many Texans have been sidelined from employment opportunities. Too many small business owners have struggled to pay their bills. This must end. It is now time to open Texas 100%. Everybody who wants to work should have that opportunity. Every business that wants to be open should be open. Now, let me tell you why now is the right time to do this. Texas is far better positioned now than when I issued my last executive order back in October. And we are in a completely different position than when I issued my first executive order last March. Back then, hardly any Texan knew what PPE was. Now we, ha now we have an abundance of it. Early on, there were no COVID tests. Now we have the ability to do well over 100,000 COVID tests per day. When COVID first ravaged our communities, there were no medicines to treat it. But now we have antibody therapeutic drugs to treat COVID and to keep people out of hospitals. In fact, as, as you all know, I was with the mayor and I was with the chancellor as well as other Lubbock leaders when we formally announced the rolling out of these antibody therapeutic drugs and making them available in large scale process to people in Lubbock as well as people across the entire state of Texas. And we also have multiple medical advancements that help Texans heal and importantly, help keep Texans out of hospitals. And last March, most Texans had no clue about the precautions needed to avoid COVID. Now, Texans have mastered the daily habits to avoid getting COVID. But most importantly now, now in Texas and across the country, we now have vaccines Vaccines to protect Texans from COVID. More than 5.7 million vaccine shots have already been given to Texans. Today, we set a one-day record amount of vaccines administered, administering more than 216,000 in one day alone. And we're now administering about a million vaccine shots a week. By next Wednesday, about 7 million shots will have been given to our fellow Texans. Equally important, we are getting the vaccines to the Texans who need it the most, those who are most likely to be hospitalized or lose their life because of exposure to COVID. By next Wednesday, over half of our seniors will have received a vaccine shot. And by the end of this month, Every senior who wants a vaccine shot will be able to get a vaccine shot. Pretty cool, folks. I'm very glad to hear that uh, our state has went ahead and decided. And, you know, when I thought about it, he made this announcement yesterday, which would have been um, March 2nd, which is also Texas Independence Day. Kind of symbolic, if you think about it. COVID still exists in Texas, in the United States, and across the globe. But it is clear from the recoveries, from the vaccinations, from the reduced hospitalizations, and from the safe practices that Texans are using, that state mandates are no longer needed. So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 
100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Now, despite these changes, remember this. Removing state mandates does not end personal responsibility or the importance of caring for your family members and caring for your friends and caring for others in your community. Personal vigilance to follow the safe standards is still needed to contain COVID. It's just that now state mandates are no longer needed. To stay safe, Texans should continue, continue following medical advice on preventing COVID just as they do on other medical issues. That is exactly how Texans were able to deal with infectious diseases in the, in the past, like H1N1. They followed safe practices and they got medical treatment when it was needed. For a year now, Texans have wrestled with COVID and they have learned best how to conduct their own lives. For example, if businesses want to limit capacity or implement additional safety protocols, they have the right to do so. It is their business and they get to choose to operate their business the way they want to. All right, I'm going to pause it there. And he just goes on to talk about uh, some of the particulars, uh, you know, because people will still be able to have their COVID signs up if they want. But we'll see also how that plays out on the national level. Like they're saying, maybe uh, Walmart might still be uh, causing you to have to wear a mask. Uh, I imagine the once Texan, now communist H-E-B will probably uh, force you to wear a mask in their grocery stores. But uh, since he has um, lifted this mandate across Texas, um, I'm going to be going there without a mask starting next Wednesday. And we'll see what they have to say about it. I, I mean... Because now, now, now this is going to be fun because now that you see there are two states that are lifting the mask mandate... But the rest of America and the rest of the world is still locked behind that muzzle of COVID. Just think about how crazy those liberals are going to be going in Texas. They are going to be going hog wild. Oh, my God. Get your cameras out, boys. It's going to it's hog season. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So, you know, um, Governor Abbott makes this bold move on the Independence Day of Texas. He declares independence from COVID and the muzzle masks that our slave owners, our debt slavers are forcing us to wear and leave it to those. Oh, um, I had this uh, mandate here also in case anyone had wanted to read that uh, Abbott had set out from his desk, uh, basically just saying um, right here at the bottom, uh, the governor that has a surplus, blah, 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 during his remarks, blah, 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 blah. It's all about the masks. But what I was getting to is the uh, governor of Mississippi, because he undercut Texas so bad, like so hard. He, he undercut it so hard. This guy's a boss. This guy, this guy gets that, he, he gets that, that gangsta uh, cigarette and, uh, you know, piano trill. Dee, 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 dee. Like, because... <laughs> Greg Greg Abbott's over there in Lubbock with all the the cowboys in the only place that it snows in Texas, right in Lubbock in the Panhandle, besides Dallas, I guess, but whatever. And uh, talking about woo over enchiladas, we're gonna be free from COVID and no more mask. Yeehaw, gee howdy. And then this gangsta from um, <laughs> sorry. This game. Oh no, not that. This gangster from Mississippi just comes on over, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and make those masks disappear tomorrow." <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> That's today. As of today, the good people of Mississippi no longer have to have a mask. You mofo's. I'm so jelly. Anyways, let's just listen to a few minutes of uh, Governor Tate Reeves over in Mississippi. To operate at full capacity without 
state-imposed rules or restrictions. If businesses or individuals decide to take additional precautions, they are absolutely within their rights. In fact, it may be smart. But we are not going to continue to use the heavy hand of government when it is no longer justified by the reality we see around us. Our hospitalizations have plummeted, and our case numbers have also fallen dramatically. In fact, our case numbers have fallen to the point where no county currently meets the original criteria that we put in place for a mask mandate. When our new order goes into effect, we will have done more than 700,000 vaccinations, targeting those who are most vulnerable amongst us to this virus. The majority of Mississippians over the age of 65 will have received at least one dose. I originally signed these orders and I made very clear what my goals were. It was never to prevent all possible spread of COVID-19 because we view that as unrealistic. But it was always about protecting the integrity of our healthcare system. We wanted to ensure that it would never be overwhelmed with COVID patients so that anybody who needed quality care and could get better with quality care received that quality care. I understand that in many parts of the country, the goalposts have shifted. But for me, that goal remains the same. Now, let me be clear. There is still risk to unvaccinated individuals who choose to interact with others, just as there has been throughout the last 12 months. There will still be COVID in our communities, perhaps for a significant amount of time in our state, as well as across the country. We will all need to decide for ourselves and our families how to assess the risk and rewards of each and every activity we choose to pursue. But the risk of overwhelming our hospitals with severe COVID cases is coming to a close and gets less and less every single day we see more and more of our people, particularly those most vulnerable, vaccinated. That's because we have a new, better tool to combat COVID. Executive orders that interfered with people's lives were the worst, but the only possible interventions for most of the last year. You've heard me say this many times before. I never took any pleasure in signing executive orders. I did it because I believed it was the right thing to do for our people at that time. But now we are putting all of our focus towards the rapid distribution of the vaccine and the governor's office is getting out of the business of telling people what they can and cannot do. Let's be honest. Throughout the last year, we as a state have been among the four of five most open states in America. And we've been rewarded for it with more jobs, a stronger recovery, and more economic activity. But that's not because the measures we put in place were a light burden. It's because the measures in the rest of the country were so harsh. We all need to recognize that none of these orders in our state or any other state are anything short of unprecedented, particularly when you think about the length of time we've been holding these very press conferences.
we know that these orders have to end. And I have said repeatedly that these orders have to end at the <coughs> earliest possible moment. By and large, this is that moment. This is that time. All right. Well, it looks like Mississippi will be removing uh, the COVID mandates. Um, I did note, interestingly enough, uh, further on in his press conference, he does state that uh, the mandates that they have in place in Mississippi for K through 12 schools, public, as well as for um, capacities at arenas. So they should, he says they will remain at 50% capacity. And the COVID mandates for K through 12 public schools remain the same. So um, that meaning that the K through 12 public school district will continue to follow, I guess, the federal timeline for COVID mandates. I find that very interesting because, again, if you're hopping back on the Trump train and the uh, Q wagon, uh, you, you'll remember what one thing that they were able to do, the Patriots, um, under the guise of COVID, was use that to mask their operations. Huh, huh, play on words to master operations. Now, it's quite possible because if you'll remember, what is the one thing that is always dependable during a Democrat-led administration? During the years of a Democrat-led administration, um, a gun violence is increase. Um, there is usually an increase on gun attacks in schools and in other places where firearms are not allowed. So the fact that this red state, Mississippi, um, who had very lax COVID laws, yet are still following federal guidelines as far as COVID goes with K through 12 schools in public, I find that very interesting. Um, and I think it's actually smart because right now America is amped up and ready for a mass shooting, and if schools were in se in session right now, I believe that the Democrats would be taking advantage of that. So I think that's another smart move on the edge. I mean, kids need to go back to school, but um, we're in false flag season for the last four years now, guys. So um, I think that might just be a blessing in disguise, if you ask me. Okay, all right, moving right along. Okay, so we had some Antifa news in... Uh, the news. Uh, it was a couple of isolated incidents. I bet you if I did a little bit more digging, I probably would have found more. But uh, we had them in Louisville, Kentucky uh, yesterday, and we had them in uh, Portland vandalizing uh, some buildings a few days ago now, hence, about four days ago, hence. Uh, so there's a little bit of video, though. So in Kentucky, the Antifa, the BLM terrorists, shut down traffic in Louisville. Let's see here. Let me expand that to the screen there. Shut down traffic in Louisville Tuesday night. And I guess I'll go ahead and play this here. You can probably turn it down. Um, they shut down traffic in Louisville Tuesday night to show support for Breonna Tra Taylor. Because everyone knows that when you're going to go support someone who's fatally shot, that you should go block the traffic of intersection and possibly cause another accident. Breonna Taylor was killed during a knock-and-announce drug raid last March during which her boyfriend shot at a police and they returned fire. LMPD Sergeant John Mattingly was shot during the exchange and has now recovered. BLM thugs were blocking traffic and yelling at police to call attention to Breonna's law which would ban no-knock warrants in Kentucky. All right. Uh, that uh, article was by Christina Layla. They're just blocking traffic. Here come more police officers. I guess there are more police officers going there. Now, this is, this is BLM, Black Lives Matter, okay? Blocking traffic. Um... I don't think that Trump supporters blocked any traffic during the Capitol false flag, but uh, I don't know. I could be wrong on that one. I, I'm pretty sure that the traffic was already blocked off. It was uh, 
<laughs> it was given. Uh, next up, we have Antifa in Portland. Um, this one's a really short video, but uh, the reason why I thought it would be kind of cool to see, not cool, but interesting to note, is because um, it, it, it is a very good example of their umbrella tactics. Um, you know, they use umbrellas now, and that is to block cameras, to block the vision, to block, uh, you know, surveillance, all kinds of things to block, you know, I don't know, things flying at them. Um you can buy a you can buy a black block umbrella at dun, 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 uh John Sullivan's uh, uh whatever the name of his website is. Yeah, that's right. This guy sells that crap there too. Anyway, so this here is Antifa and Black Lives Matter destroyed businesses and vandalized a federal building in Portland on Saturday night. So this was Saturday. Um, the far-left militants targeted the, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. But you won't see the media shedding any of their crocodile tears over this federal building. So that's uh, Cassandra Fairbanks. And then this video shows... Uh, I'll go ahead and expand it there a little bit more. Shows them... It's they're their graffitiing a building and they're uh, using their black block umbrellas to uh, mask themselves from surveillance. Take a gander. Yeah, very short video there, but yeah, that's basically uh, pretty much that. So you have BLM and Antifa um, members also present during the uh, Inauguration Day false flags that took place there in Washington, D.C. I mean, yes, there were white right wing, but there was left wing as well. And John Sullivan was uh, was being a uh, provocateur Trump, uh, saying he was a Trump supporter, but putting everywhere that he was an infiltrator and then being an idiot and live streaming uh, on uh, live uh, internet. He was live streaming on the live internet. Like, what a moron. Anyways. Okay, so you have Senator Chack. You have Senator Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley calling out Kamala Mala Harris on Antifa and her left-wing domestic violence. Uh, well, not hers, but I mean, Kamala Harris has said, you know, it's going to keep on happening. It's not going to stop. As Kamala Harris is my name, it's not going to stop. So um, he calls her out at the Senate hearing. Uh, this is the same hearing that uh, FBI Director Ray, uh, or is the CIA, anyway, he decides that he doesn't want to um, really say anything in respect to, um, in respect to uh, Officer Snicknick's passing. Um, FBI Director Ray there. Uh, I guess he has to withhold that for some reason, too. I mean, can I get a... He wasn't hit over the head with an extinguisher, Director Ray. But we are supposed to trust Director Ray, so I guess we'll see what happens here. Um, let's see. Uh... He just said that they couldn't disclose it. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. We're supposed to trust Director Ray. So we're going to trust Director Ray. Now, in regards to this uh, Chuck Grassley moment here that he was having at the Senate hearing where he was lambasting Kamanawala Leah Harris, he was like, she never had fun with me at the pedo parties. No. Uh, this um, article says by Christina Wong, Senate Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Chuck Grassley, Republican of Indiana, or is it Iowa? Sorry. Uh, on Tuesday during a Senate hearing called out left-wing domestic violence over the summer and an apparent attempt by Chairman Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, to use the January 6th Capitol breach to tie the political right to domestic extremism. Grassley said he agreed that the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was a desecration that disgraced our company, and he called for those who broke the law that day to be prosecuted. 
However, he said to a fully addressed domestic extremism, threats must be looked at across the political spectrum. So let's uh, take a listen to a few words from the grass man himself. Uh, I, it's, I mean, it's, it's Chuck Grassley. I mean, come on. Anyways, let's just hear what he has to say. They were called stormtroopers by the Speaker of the House, like they aren't even human beings. Vice President Harris, when she was a senator, supported the Minnesota Freedom Fund, an organization that helped bail out violent rioters in Minnesota. Thirteen staffers of a candidate for president at that time boasted on Twitter that they donated to the group. According to one news report, the group paid $75,000 to get one man out of jail when he was charged with attempted murder for allegedly shooting at a police officer during the May protests. One of the most upsetting aspects of the violence this summer has been the targeting of innocent law enforcement officers, just like innocent law enforcement officers were targeted during January 6th. We had more than 700 officers being injured between May 27th last year and June 8th last year. Officers have been assaulted, slashed, struck with hammers, baseball bats, and blinded by lasers. 67 Secret Service officers were injured during a three-day siege on the White House, which caused then-President Trump to be brought into a secure bunker. We also remember on television seeing our colleague from Kentucky having a hard time uh, getting uh, to the White House when he wanted to go there sometime last summer. We also had the church across the street was lit on fire across the street from the White House as part of that continued left-wing assault. More than 300 people were charged federally for their roles in those months of violence. 80 of those charged related to the use of arson and explosives. At least 14,000 people were arrested in 49 cities. At least 25 people died in violence related to the riots. There has been 280 arrests as a result of the January 6th attack compared to more than 1,000 arrests as a result of riots just in Portland last year. It's been estimated that insurance losses of uh, summer's civil unrest uh, possibly exceeded $2 billion. It's been a relatively frequent sight at summer's violence events to see individuals acting in coordination holding the A symbol for Antifa. And as I said before, I don't disagree with anything I heard Senator Durbin say this morning, but we did have an admitted Antifa adherent in Portland murder a conservative protester. Supporters of that group have been charged federally for violence, promoting riots and using Molotov cocktails even after President Biden's electoral victory. Can you believe this? Antifa rioters attacked the Oregon Democratic Party headquarters, and they did that on Inauguration Day. You'd think the results of the election ought to satisfy them, if that's what they wanted to accomplish in an anti-Trump uh, manner of getting rid of the uh, president as Trump, or Trump as president. Let's not forget about left-wing activists who opened fire on 24 Republican congressmen and hit a Capitol police officer, a congressional aide, a lobbyist, and Representative Steve Scalise at a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. And, of course, our colleague on the other side of the aisle had left life-threatening injury at that time. In light of these ever-present left-wing threats, I'm concerned about resource shifting talk among our colleagues across the aisle. Let me say this clearly. 
we aren't going to defund the anarchist extremism program or any other domestic terrorism program. It can't be that the FBI needs a fully funded art theft program but can't afford to fight both right-wing and left-wing extremism. We must examine the issue of domestic terrorism broadly, very broadly, to include all forms of political extremism. Da, yes, we should, Chuck. Yes, we should. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Was... Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you think he did compare to Joe Biden? <laughs> Uh, what, what, how do you think that speech would sound if he spoke it like he meant it as opposed to read it like he didn't know it? Like, I think, I think I do cold reading. Sometimes my cold reading of the news is just as bad as that. But I mean, come on. Um, Chucky Schumer knew to uh, ah shut up Chuck, uh, I mean Mr. Grassley, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Schumer knew to prepare his speech weeks in advance of the of the the January sixth um um uh, false flag. So come on, Mr. Grassley, come on, you had all summer to write this speech. <laughs> come on, Mr. Grassley, you had all fall to write this speech, and at least you know at least. Speak it like you mean it, anyways. Uh, you gotta, you gotta love it when the speechwriter starts talking like in, like you know, the v vernacular, <laughs> and they stop talking like they're, you know, reporting, but they start talking like they're a human, <laughs> and they're still reading it like they're a robot, anyways. Okay, so Chuck Grassley, yes, rightfully so, is calling out the left. He's calling out Kamala. Um, he's calling them all out. I mean, we, I mean, you even saw it during the entire impeachment uh, debacle thing. But, um, you know, because of this whole issue now, Terror. shut up, Chuck. Okay, sorry. He keeps, he keeps talking. He, let me just get him off the screen. There we go. Oh, well, that's for the next one. Um, let's just get C back on. Okay, so uh, for um, uh, because you know we have we have Chuck calling out this unrest. We have uh, of course Antifa even post and he even said it. You'd be you can you? He's all. Can you believe it? Uh, of course, he didn't sound like he was like like speaking. He sounded like he was reading. He's like, can you believe it? Even during the summer, man, these people are still attacking. And Joe won. Shoot, man. Don't they really... I guess that's not what they wanted. Okay, don't you get it, Mr. Grassley? You're supposed to be uh, speaking this part. Uh, you should have had it memorized by now. Anyways, his his, uh, his speechwriters probably hate him. Anyways, so um, the Capitol Police are still in Washington, D.C. And so we were talking about this earlier as well. And like... Uh, all this violence is continuing. I mean, Antifa and all BLM were even in Washington like a week ago, like still trying to do things. So um, uh, supposedly tomorrow is going to be an intel plot to uh, there's intelligence that there's a plot to breach the Capitol. And I was like, OK, so I'd heard that there's supposed to be something going on tomorrow at the Capitol. Um, uh, in this article by Christina Alela, it says that March 4th is the original day on which the United States inaugurated presidents. So this is a QAnon thing, apparently, according to this article. It says QAnon followers believe Trump will be in D.C. on Thursday to be sworn in on the 4th, according to Fox 5 D.C. Fox 5 reported that the United States Capitol Police sources tell Fox 5 they have received an intelligence bulletin warning a militia plot to breach the Capitol this Thursday, March 4th. Now, this makes no sense because if President Trump were going to be sworn in on March 4th at the Capitol, why would militias try to breach the Capitol? Is it the militias who are fighting for Joe? Oh, could it be, could it be, could it possibly be Maria Jay Stefanik and all of their sunshine people? Like, are they... Are, are, do they believe that Trump's going to be there on Thursday? Hey, Millie. Hey, Tori. Uh, is this something that we don't that we don't know about? Um, I need to watch Millie's new. Go watch Millie's new um, uh, documentary. Um, 
it's about the uh, Capitol Day breach false flag. Two sources say officers got the bulletin on Tuesday. Obviously, I haven't seen it. Otherwise, I could talk about it right now. Two sources say officers got the bulletin on Tuesday and that it specifically names the militia group the Three Percenters. Members of the group are accused in the Capitol riot on January 6th. So these people are... I wonder if this is the woman that was all, I'm so embarrassed to even be here. I'm done with that lifestyle. Anyways, there is also some chatter about March 20th, the day the Republican Party came to life in 1834 and there's even some noise about april 15th federal income tax day and there's even some noise about april 1st april fool's day (laughs) okay so don't okay so get this let me get this straight the never trump people and the people who have trump ptsd and the people who are like have that trump derangement syndrome like, the next big conservative Republican day is the doomsday for them. So that's, like, their Armageddon. Do you remember how, like, in 1999, everything was Armageddon? It was all, the end of the world's coming, the new millennium, Armageddon. And then when that passed, it was all, uh, uh, 2012 is coming, uh, uh, and, and, uh, a crater is coming. This is their Armageddon. They're all... March 4th is coming! Oh no, that's the, the day that they used to QAnon and, and the presidents back in the day in Jesus. And and then they're like, oh no, wait, it's March 20th! Watch out! It's coming! It's March 20th! Look out! Be on guard! It's April 15th! Because that is income tax day. And, and, and the income tax is unconstitutional! And because it is unconstitutional, QAnon is going to go after the income tax on income tax day. Even though last year, when was income tax day? It was July 15th or somewhere around there. It was, it was then that I knew because... March 27th was the day that the Fed was nationalized, right? And I knew because I was drunk for two days, I was so happy because that was just, I never thought that would happen. And over 10 years, like that was one of the, that was like one of the last things I thought would happen because that's one of the biggest steps. Like that was one of the things that naturally I thought the bankers would have fought the hardest, but he did it so subtly and so masterfully and so under wraps. Like he didn't even say he was going after the banks. He just legislated it back into the treasury so nationalized it and um i just yeah you know the bankers like whenever uh they said that april 15th tax day was moved last year i was like he did it he did it because nobody has ever moved a tax date except the irs nobody Nobody has ever moved a tax date except the IRS. And it's not that they haven't tried, but those guys, their day is their day. Um, And like I said, the income tax is not a tax that goes back into the cities and to the states and into the federal agencies. It goes into the coffers of the banks because the income tax is the debt. It's the percentage of debt that we owe that goes back to pay them for the money that they create out of thin air and thus enriching themselves in the world's smartest Ponzi scheme. I mean, shit, if I had thought, hey, I'm going to go make, uh, I'm going to go be a banker for governments and put them in debt by creating money out of thin air and lending them money and charging them interest on it, I would have done that too. Jesus, the Babylonian money magic. Dang, it's like, ha, now you see it, now you don't. But uh, anyways, so... I guess that's some food for thought, guys, because as I always said in Trump's next administration, the banks are going to be the number one thing that he will be taking down because I swear Trump could be uh, Trump could be Andrew Jackson reincarnated. Don't send the Indians on, uh, um, you know, an Indian trail now, Mr. Trump, when you come back into office. Old Hickory, we love you. We always will. And uh, we're going to take down those banks. But until next time, be good. Oh, I can't believe I forgot to do it again. Here, before, before the show is officially over. (laughs) 
There's my branding. All right. Let's there. There we go. We got the little ticker tape at the bottom going at the end of the show. Sorry, guys. Go to QAholspodcast.com. Make sure you come back tomorrow for the Mr. C and Magadon show. There's no telling what we're going to talk about. And uh, we'll see you weekdays with uh, Mr. C Report. The Mr. C Report. It's just the C Report. Come on, guys. And breaking news with Joe One of Two. We'll be back on Saturday with QAholsp Podcast. Be sure to check us out, and we will see you all next time. We will make America great again. Q and A horses.